Genesis chapter 42. And again, we're going through the life of Joseph. We've looked at um, the conscience seared. And we're looking at the conscience then being stirred. And last time we looked at it, it was stirred by providence, by people. And now today we want to think of the conscience being probed, stirred by being probed. And next time, God willing, we'll look at some more thoughts in this whole story. I'm trying to break up the story. Uh, really, it's a whole conversation, chapter 42, that takes place between uh, Jacob and his sons, then between Joseph and his brothers. And what we're doing is breaking this up and in the different sections to see how God uses things and people to bring about the brother's confession that for all those years of hidden sin, God moves in such a way that their sin is brought to light. And for the first time in over 20 years, they actually confess we have done wrong. They knew the whole time, but the first time they actually confess we are guilty concerning our brother. And so we'll just read Genesis chapter 42 and we'll take a reading from verse 5 down to verse 14. The word of God says, Genesis 42 verse 5, And the sons of Israel came to buy corn. Among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and his brethren knew them. And he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land are ye come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, That is it that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. We will consider, say, more thoughts and have the reading broken down week after week as more nuggets there to search and to learn. But with God's word open, we'll ask the Lord for help as we come to the ministry of his precious word. Our Heavenly Father, eternal God, we confess without thee we can do nothing. Lord, I can do nothing. I pray, O God, that you'll strengthen me, you'll give me help, you'll make me to be a channel of blessing. And Father, I pray, O God, as we open up the word of God, Lord, we pray, O God, we'll learn more of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for the Spirit of God who comes and searches the heart. And Father, we pray, O God, even this day, that all our hearts will be searched. We pray, O God, that will bless, that will guide, that will strengthen. 
And Lord, we pray if there be any backslidden, thou wilt restore. If there be any not saved, Lord, we pray this day, thou wilt save them for thine honor, for thy glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Whenever Joseph's brethren came to Joseph, the Bible says in the opening words of verse 7, And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them. Then we read in verse 8, And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. In the literal sense of these words, and in their context, over 20 years have passed since Joseph and his brethren last seen each other. In those 20 years, and we've only had a a couple of chapters to read, but in those 20 years, much has taken place and much has changed. No doubt the brothers have changed with age, but they are still recognizable. Because as soon as they entered Joseph's presence, Joseph immediately saw them and he knew them. And you know this to be true yourself. If we were to take an illustration, maybe there's people that you know and maybe you haven't seen them in a a number of years, maybe a number of months, possibly even a number of weeks. And as you see them for the first time in a very, very long time, you still recognize it's them. But there are certain changes. Maybe they've gained a bit of weight. Maybe they've lost a bit of weight. Maybe their hair is different. Maybe it's changed color. Uh, or maybe uh, they've lost hair. Um, maybe there's bodily weakness. Weakness. All these different things. Usually if I ever go back to Northern Ireland or ever meet anybody in Northern Ireland, the first thing they always say to me, why they recognize me, they always say to me, well, you've certainly put on a lot of weight, haven't you? And that's what they all say to me. And the point is this, they recognize it's me. But the point is this, there has been a change. And so Joseph, these 20 years, there has to be a change. But Joseph recognizes his people. But his brethren do not recognize him. They don't recognize him for the fact they don't expect to see Joseph. And certainly they wouldn't connect the governor of Egypt with Joseph. It didn't cross their mind that a Hebrew would be ruling over Egypt, and certainly not Joseph. And if you really want to say they have forgotten Joseph's dream, that's the clearest uh, matter here. They've forgotten what Joseph said to them, that one day they would come and stand before him, and they would bow in his presence. During these years, these 20 years, uh, Joseph has been given a position of power in the land. He sits upon a throne. He rules by his word. He is clothed in Egyptian royal garments that have been given to him by Pharaoh. He keeps his head shaven as he did when he came out of prison and entered into Pharaoh's presence because the Egyptians, they shaved themselves in order to be separate from other nations. Also, we discover in this scene that Joseph speaks the Egyptian language. For verse 23 states, And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. So with all these changes in language, appearance, in position, in change of clothes, in a change of look, Joseph is governor in the land. The man whom they stand before, Joseph, was not in their thoughts. Joseph knew them, but they did not know Joseph. There's no doubt that Joseph loved 
his brethren. Because as we've learned and we've drawn the connections in uh, symbolic language referring to Joseph, a type of Christ, Joseph was sent out by his father to seek the well-being of his brethren. And he came to seek them and he came to find them. He was despised and rejected by them. He was betrayed and sold for money by them. All this refers to Christ as we've looked in great detail. Joseph left his father's presence and came on to his own, and his own received him not. Joseph loved his brethren, and we know that to be true. Because in chapter 45, whenever Joseph finally does reveal himself to them, he provides for them. And also in chapter 50, whenever Jacob, their father, dies, the brethren then begin to panic. They become anxious and fearful. And they come to this conclusion. Now that father is dead, Joseph will now hate us. Joseph will now punish us for our transgression against him. They sort of feel that Joseph is sort of letting them off because dad's still alive. But now that dad dies... They now have this fear that Joseph will now persecute him, that all that was done to him, he will do to them. But we learn, don't we, in chapter 51, or sorry, chapter 50, verse 21. Now therefore, Joseph says, fear ye not. I will nourish you. And we've looked at that already many other occasions. I will sustain you. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And if you have a margin in your Bible, you will learn that the Hebrew reference there, speak kindly, means to speak to the heart. They were fearful. They were anxious. They were troubled. What's Joseph going to do? And in that instance, he spoke a word to their heart. He spoke a word that they needed to hear. Joseph's words, after chapter 41, verse 17, right through to chapter 50, are words of grace, mercy, peace, comfort. A word to the heart, a word in need. That is because Joseph's first words in chapter 41, verses 7 through 16, are rough words. They are words of conviction. Their words of judgment, their words spoken from the lawgiver, from the law of the land, from the one who will judge from his mouth. They come seeking bread. They come seeking nourishment. But before uh, Joseph will bless them, he must show them their wrongdoing and their sin. I make that point because there are some who accuse Joseph in this chapter, now I know there's different books and Joseph and you can read some and commentators are different and all the other things. But there are some who would accuse Joseph and even preachers of acting in anger. In this passage, he spoke rough to them or out of revenge. And I want to say in my view that that is not the case at all. Rather, the overall picture, the brethren have committed sin willful transgression, hatred against Joseph. And for 20 years, they have never repented of the wrongdoing. They've never sorrowed or grieved over their sin. 
Instead, they've lied about their sin. They've continued in their sin. They've put it aside. They've lied to others. They've covered their tracks. And they keep on doing so, thinking never to hear about this again. Listen, if nobody knows about it, it will be okay until God in his own sovereign time brings their sin to light. And now is the time for them to reap what has been sown. Now is the time that God will bring to light. God will cover or uncover what they have covered over. God will bring that secret sin to the forefront. And he does so by using providence. That famine that came in the land. They had to go down to Egypt to get food. Because in Egypt was the only place to get food. Because Joseph was the chosen provider. And he opened up those storehouses to give and to give and to give all who would come to him. And in giving, remember the people, they had to surrender some of their things to teach in the gospel message. Before there can be blessing, there are things we must forsake, our sin, our idols. Also, God used people, as in Jacob, very mention of Egypt, the very mention of Egypt, stirred them. Again, the very fact that their dad would not let Benjamin go down with them to Egypt, lest mischief happen to him. Again, it got them thinking, alarm bells, well, why is he not letting dad uh, let us take Benjamin down. And all this God uses. And again, God will use Joseph as Joseph speaks to them by the word to get this confession and for them to repent of their sin. You see, the conscience that has di- divinely been put within the nature acts as that alarm to warn when doing wrong. And their conscience was seared. It was hardened. It was ignored. It was silenced. They kept approving their actions. They kept believing their lies. They kept trying to justify their actions. But now their conscience has been stirred, alerted, awakened, alarmed, guilty, guilty, guilty. Keep running. You cannot hide. Keep living a lie. The truth will come out. Is that where one is today? Is there a believer in our midst living in sin, covering up sin, for some time entangled in the affairs of this life? You're not reading your Bible, but you act like you do. You're not praying, but you sound like you are. You're involved in the wrong crowd. You're hooked on certain sites that are not wise. You're gambling your money, your career, your family away. Yes, you're good at hiding it. You're good at covering your tracks. You seared your conscience. You believe what you're doing was for a good cause to benefit when instead it's causing destruction and dishonoring and displeasing the Lord. And he will bring it to light. While this is the literal context of the passage before us, Joseph's brethren hiding their sin that is brought to light Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. There's a wonderful picture in the gospel there as we gaze upon our heavenly Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christ 
left the Father's presence and came into this world to seek the well-being of his people. Sinners he came to save who were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And Christ knew every sinner given to him to save even though they did not know him. He set his sight on sinners. He covenanted to save even before they had set their sight upon him. Again, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. But in saving sinners, Christ first exposes our sin. He reveals why we need a Savior. He reveals why you need to be saved. And he shows us we're guilty. We have sinned against him. We've covered our sin. And when sin is acknowledged, sin will be acquitted. When sin is confessed, only then will it be cleared. Before sinners receive grace, they must see themselves as guilty. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Please notice the order. We have been loved first, and based on that love, we have been drawn to the Savior. Christ loved his people from the beginning. And he proved that and showed that by drawing them to himself by his love. This is what's happening in Genesis chapter 42. Joseph is the provider, the sustainer. He's the one who will preserve the nation. But in order to provide, to bless them, he must speak rough to them to point out their, their, their need their, their sin, their transgression, and to be sorrowful over it. And I hope in the next number of lessons, as we look at these points, we'll get a sight of that and we will see this clearly. Now, just for today, as we said, we've looked at the conscience being seared, then stirred, and stirred by providence, by people. Notice simply and in closing today, their conscience was stirred by probing. That really covers <coughs> verses 7 through 14. Joseph begins by probing, by investigating, by examination his brother's character. They've come to him. Now he will examine their life. He will probe them. He will examine them by their past and by their actions through his word. Again, verse 7, Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them and spake roughly unto them, and he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph is speaking as the law of the land. He is the governor of the land. And Pharaoh said that he would rule, Joseph would rule by his word. And whatsoever he saith, people must do. Joseph is set over the land. And so he speaks to them from the throne. He must examine, he must probe their hearts to bring to light the wickedness. Joseph knew his brethren. He knew all about them. He knew their past wicked deeds. He knew their actions towards him. 
as they came into his presence. Remember verse 6. Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. You see, they give the impression all is well. They come as if they are respectful, humble men. They come near to him as if everything's hunky-dory. Even in their response, they, they claim as if they're men full of respect and full of honor. Notice verse 10, they say to this Lord of the land, who they don't know as Joseph, remember, keep that before you at this stage. They don't know the Lord of the land as Joseph. That's vital. And so they say in verse 10, my Lord. Verse 13, thy servants. So they show respect to, jo- to the Lord of the land. But they didn't even respect their own father. They told their father lies. They lied to one another. They deceived one another. And even Joseph himself, uh, they um, treated him so bad. But now they come, as we know before Joseph, to them it's the Lord of the land, and they come with this hypocritical impression. We are humble servants, thy servants, O oh my Lord. You see, in chapters 37 through 38, Remember, they had this evil report linked to their name. They made their father's name distinct in society. They also mocked Joseph. Remember, when Joseph came back, he had to tell his father their evil report. So Joseph, had Joseph revealed himself, if the brethren just came there and then, and Joseph went, my brothers, I'm Joseph. I could tell you this now. They would not be calling him my Lord. And they would not be saying we are thy servants. I tell you that now. They would not acknowledge. Rather, their heart would be more hardened. Their conscience again would be uh, seared again. You? You? Away on. And this hardness and this hatred. Why? Because the last thing they did 20 years ago was despise Joseph, hate Joseph, get rid of Joseph, and sell him away. And so the stand before him now, they would not be saying, if Joseph said, I am your brother, remember me. They would not be saying, my Lord, my, thy servants. They would be saying something completely different. Actually, they would get up and just probably go on home and say away with that. And therefore, now you know why Joseph must get right to the point. Now you know why Joseph must speak rough to them. Now you know in this next Number first is Joseph must get them to see their sin, their rebellion, their transgression, their iniquity. Because unless they see their sin, they will not get the provision. And Joseph charges them, ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land. Now, the thought here of a spy in itself is not bad. Remember later in the life of Moses, he sent out the twelve spies to search out the land. Uh, of Canaan to bring back a report. Now here's the point in that. Remember out of those 12 spies, only two brought a good report. That was uh, um, Joshua and Caleb. They came back with a report. Let's trust God. Let's go in and take the land that God's given us. But the other 10, they came back with an evil report. They could not be trusted. Their report was about manward uh, things, the giant, everything's too big and it's too hard. And, and they brought back this discouraging report, this report that discouraged everyone else. 
And, and the point I'm making is this about those ten spies. Their words could not be trusted. That's the whole point. Their words could not be trusted. And so here's the whole point is this. These brethren, they can't be trusted. Again, the report they give, Joseph wants to find information. So verse 11, they say, we are one man's son. Or we are one man's son. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. The word true men, as you have before you, is the word that reads honest men. We are honest men. Thy servants, my Lord. We are honest men. And this refers to character, trustworthiness. It means nothing to hide. We are genuine men. We are genuine men. There's nothing suspicious about our life. Now, true, they were not spies in a sense to spy out the land, but Joseph is getting to the point how they've dealt with him. And they've dealt with him in their character as untrustworthy men. Dishonest men. But the thing is, have they changed? Have they changed? In 20 years, did they repent? Because Joseph doesn't know this, remember. Did they, well, what did they tell their father? Joseph wants to know, when, when, I, when I didn't come back, what did they tell dad? Are they actually sorry for what they did to me? Or are they just the same sneaky, deceptive, deceiving men who are out for themselves? And so Joseph's question demands answer. He probes, he examines, he's getting to the heart of the matter. He wants answers. And folks, this gets exciting because in the next number of weeks, we will see this blossom out into more lessons. So Joseph wants them really to confess their their wicked deeds, their wrongdoing. He will probe, he will examine, he will press and press and press. And they say, Nay, my Lord, verse 10, but to buy food are thy servants come. But they're still not getting where Joseph wants them to get. And Joseph charges them again with the same question, verse 12. But this time they begin to add a little bit more. It's like children. Uh, something's happened. They did this, she did this, he said that. And you begin to, well, let's find out what happens. And as you ask more questions, something, here we get that, a little bit of detail uh, gets added to, oh, now, well, you left that out now. Oh, okay, well, what about that point you've just said? Let, let's stick with that. And that's what happens here. When Joseph questions him, they give him a response. And then he questions them again. And then in the response, they say something else. And then Joseph, okay, well, let's go with that. And he asks them something else again on that. And then they give something else. So, for instance... Verse 13, thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest this day is with our father, and one is not. Now, there's a lot of things in that we first. Joseph now understands Benjamin is still alive. The youngest this day is with our father. He now learns dad is still alive after all these years. And one is not. Now, we will develop this in the next number of weeks about Benjamin and about Jacob. But for now, let's focus on the phrase at the end. And one is not. What about the one is not? Who is he? 
what happened to him is what Joseph wants to know. The one who is not, well, well, what about that one who is not? What happened to him? That phrase, one is not, means one is dead. Now, do you see? You read it with that. You read their words that way, what they say here. And behold, the youngest this day is with her father, and one is dead. So they're saying, Joseph is, our brother's dead. But Joseph's standing before them. Remember, he's the Lord of the land. They don't know that. So Joseph knows fine rightly. You haven't changed at all. You're still sneaky, deceptive men. Because I am not dead. I'm alive. I'm here. So clearly Joseph now knows you've been telling dad something completely different. Because you're saying the one who is me is dead when I am not dead. And so we see how all this begins to come out. This gets very, very interesting. Uh, no book like the Bible, folks, I'm telling you, as we learned on Wednesday, got to desire it and digest it and get into it. It's a wonderful book to learn all these lessons. The one who is not, they're giving the impression Joseph is dead. But Joseph is the one before them, the Lord of the land. But they don't know that. So he will then examine them. He will then probe them. He will then test them more and more and more. The question, what happened to the one who is dead? Why is the brother missing? How did he die? And this is the point of Joseph's probing. It begins to get them to answer The truth, what did happen to Joseph? And later we will learn, Joseph puts them in prison and they begin to speak about themselves, about the one who they claim is not. And they begin to say, we are guilty concerning our brother. And they begin to say all the stuff about him and quoted in the Psalms. We've seen the sorrow of his face, the anguish of his soul. And they begin to go through the whole story. Because God was using this situation. Providence, people are now probing. You're this. And they say this. And he begins to examine. And based on what they say, their sin was found out. They did not get away with it. And nor Will you? Remember, in closing, 1 Kings chapter 21. Whenever Ahab had Naboth killed in the vineyard. Remember that story, Naboth would not sell the land. It was the land that God had given. It was an inheritance, a heritage God had given his people. It belonged to the Lord for his people. And Naboth would not sell it. He kept it. But because it was beside Ahab's castle, Ahab wanted it in Samaria. I want this vineyard sell to me. Ahab, or Naboth, I will not. And so, again, cutting a long story short, uh, Ahab goes back to Jezebel, mopes and moans about it. And she sees his face, he's downcast, what's wrong? And he tells her the story and she says, well, you're king. Get it yourself, let's take it from them. And so they make this plan in secret that nobody knows anything. They get a few people together, make this plan to kill Naboth. And they create a whole situation in the public view that Naboth is before the people and all surrounded by everybody else. 
and they they call something that Naboth is then found out, as in just stood in the midst, and all eyes on Naboth, and no one has a clue what's happening, except Ahab and Jezebel, because they've arranged everything for Naboth to get killed. And then he is stoned. And after he is stoned, after he is dead, no one knows anything. Ahab thinks, that's it. The vineyard's mine. Naboth's no more. Not going to hear anything about this man anymore. That's it done and dusted. But here's the amazing thing. God sees everything. There's nothing hid from the Lord. I want you to grasp that, men and women, young people. The Lord sees everything and knows everything. That's why he brings hidden sin to light that is not confessed. He tells the prophet Elijah, and Elijah didn't even know this. Isn't that amazing? This goes back to what we said last week. Whenever the preacher preaches, the preacher doesn't know anything. But how God uses his servants to bring his word. God told Elijah, go down to Ahab. 1 Kings 21 verse 18. And thou shalt speak unto him saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast killed and taken possession. That was the message God said to Elijah. Elijah didn't know any of this. And as soon as he went down to Ahab, and he told Ahab God's message. What did Ahab respond in verse 19? Thou hast found me, O mine enemy. In other words, my sin has been found out. The secret sin has now been brought to light. And Elijah answered, and this is amazing, I found thee. Why? Because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. That's why I know this. Because this sin you did was in the sight of God. And it would be brought to light. Elijah was probing Ahab. He was giving God's message to Ahab. And Ahab had responded, Thou hast found me out. When God's words preached to you, week by week have you been found out. Week by week has your sin been found out. Not reading, not praying, not seeking God, just going through the motions, getting by day by day. Maybe hatred, bitterness, whatever it may be. The sin has been found out. Closing, Paul again answering his accusers. In preaching the gospel, Paul, as he probed and examined those who heard him preached, preach, he said this in Acts uh, chapter 26, referring to King Agrippa. For the king knoweth these things, of whom I speak freely. That What was the message? Paul taught that Christ should suffer. That he should be the first to rise from the dead and show light onto the people and to the Gentiles. So Paul was preaching to the people about Christ dying, about Christ rising from the dead. And he turns to the king. The king knoweth these things. I am persuaded. I am convinced that this is not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know you believe this. And again, what did Agrippa respond? 
Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You see, to be almost a Christian is to remain lost. Likewise, men and women, when we hear the preaching of God's word week after week, the Lord examines us. The Lord probes us. Not to make our lives miserable, but that sin will be confessed. That we will hear from God and that we will go on and glorify God and press on with him. Because if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And therefore, whenever there's cleansing, there will be blessing. And so that's what happens with Joseph's brethren. Once their sins found out and their sin is forgiven or cleansed, then they will be provided for. And so their conscience was stared by probing, examination. Next time we look at the conscience stirred by proving and by patterns. May the Lord write his word upon our heart for his name's sake. Amen.